Hello there. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Isaiah Joshua Fetterman. No, I am not Kevin Anderson. Uh, slightly different, maybe a little bit taller. Um, I am an intern and the media coordinator here at Aletheia. And this is an exciting moment for us because we get to really see our strategy here at Aletheia uh, play out. We have a strategy where we encourage, sorry, we engage, we encourage, we equip, and we empower. And as we want to see people go beyond Aletheia, as we want to raise up people within Aletheia, we take uh, people who have gifts and we try to foster that. So this is an opportunity for them to help foster a gift that they have recognized in me as preaching uh, and to equip and empower me to do that by doing it here on a Sunday. And you will get to see this multiple times with others as well throughout the summer. So I hope you guys are excited. Um, I'm trying not to be nervous, but it'll be fine. Uh, so those of you who know me know that I'm a pretty chill, happy guy. I like to do the fun things and not anything too serious. Um, you might find me playing pickleball or maybe a good game of Catan. Uh, I can be competitive, but still like to have fun. Uh, so I like to compare myself to a character named Chris in Parks and Rec. He's in a dynamic duo with Chris and Ben, and Chris always comes and is like, hey guys, you're awesome, as they go into this new town, like, we're here to help you, we want what's best for you, and then Ben comes in with a whammy, he's like, but we're firing half of your staff, and we're cutting all your budgets. I like to be Chris and say the good news. That being said, this morning's topic is maybe out of character for me. And we're talking today about hidden sin. This can be heavy and a lot to process. It can be scary and challenging. I know it is for me. And that's the beautiful thing about Scripture. Whereas we may have preferences and maybe things we're afraid of, Scripture challenges us to step into the fullness of the truth of God, even when it is maybe outside of our character or preference. So I encourage you guys to walk with me today through what might be a challenging passage that really calls us out to something that's maybe not comfortable because it is the fullness and truth of God and what he has planned for us so that we can have the best life that he has. And I want you to know, my hope is this, that we are not condemned but convicted to action and to see that it may hurt, but we will end with hope and a way for help and a reminder that we are not alone in this battle with sin. So let's take a look at what's happened so far. We are going through the book of Joshua. So we have these lovely journals for you uh, that my uh, friends back here are passing out. They are free. They are a gift to you so you can follow along. If you do not have one, if you just want to raise your hand, we will get these journals to you uh, so that this is our gift to you and you can just take notes and enjoy your time here and remember it really well. So um, with that, in Joshua so far, we've gone through the first six chapters mostly uh, and we're now heading to chapter seven. So far, we've seen that God has given the Israelites commands on purity and then a command to obey as they enter the promised land. Now, this is a big charge because the promised land is a little intimidating with some of the people that are in there. But he doesn't leave them alone and helpless in this charge. Instead, he asks them to be strong and courageous. And this strength isn't just in themselves, but it's strength from the Lord. It's courage from the Lord. It's a call to not be afraid and obey, and God will be with you. 
And the primary part of this promise is seen in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where it says this, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And in light of this promise, we have seen several miracles so far in Joshua. First, we see that Rahab chooses God over her own people and own gods, turning from her wickedness and following him. We've seen the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, which literally welled up and stopped on one side, and they got to walk through it. Pretty exciting, if you ask me. Um, And we saw the fall of Jericho, where literally walls came tumbling down. And as we wrap up from these past few weeks, I don't know, if I were the Israelites, I'd be kind of excited. Um, You know, you literally got to see all of this, and you might be like shaking like, oh my goodness, the walls just came down. And just like super excited, like God's awesome, we're seeing awesome stuff, it's great. And they are having good success. And this brings us now to this hard turn in Joshua 7. In the midst of this great success, we see how hidden sin can hurt us and others. And then we're ultimately going to see how we can work through this and come to Jesus. With that in mind, and knowing this might be a little bit more challenging, uh, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you be present today? Would you speak through me, despite myself and my tendencies to be afraid of hard truth? Um, Would we stand on Scripture as our guide and as our hope in justice and truth and love and grace? God, would you work in the hearts of people today? Would you convict us to action, to trust in you, and to confess to one another? Father, would you just be so evident here today and that we would walk away changed from how you are moving in this time. So we give this time to you in your name. So to help, it's always good to know exactly what we're going to talk about during a sermon. So with that, we're going to start with what is sin? Then we're going to talk about the consequences of sin. And then we're going to end with the hope in life of how do we find a remedy for sin. So chapter 7 starts with a tough reality of what happens after the battle of Jericho. And that's in verse 1, where it says this. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Here, we see hidden sin. Achan, during the battle of Jericho, has taken what was not supposed to be taken. He grabs a robe, some silver, and some gold. And we see and know that it was not supposed to be taken based off of what we uh, read in Joshua chapter 6 last week. In verse 18, it says, But you keep yourselves from the devoted from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Now, this is something Kevin talked about 
last week as well, is that Jericho was devoted for destruction. At Aletheia, we don't avoid the tough topics like this. This can seem a little harsh, but we process through it and try to get a biblical and correct understanding of what this means. God promised the Israelites victory, but with the caveat that they destroyed everyone and everything in the city. And we'll see this throughout Joshua. God demands uh, perfection and justice, which means in all reality, we all deserve this destruction because as far as I know, no one in here is perfect. And we'll see that later on as we talk more about it. It is a miracle that he saves anyone at all. And we see that even in light of this total destruction, there are still people who are saved, like Rahab, who chose God over the wickedness of the city. Her and her family are saved because of this. Achan knew not to take these things, for they were devoted to destruction, and he knew the consequences, but he took them anyway. Guys, this is how sin works. There are things we know not to do, but we're tempted to do them and then we proceed to do them anyways. Why? That's an excellent question. In James 1, verses 14 through 16, it gives us clarity into this. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. We're enticed by our desires, and then we give in to sin. Now, the challenge with this is, to avoid this, we often fall into what the Pharisees started to do, is they would make a list of do's and don'ts, and, you know, this is good, but it's not necessarily a proper perspective on what sin is. Because I don't want to just look at the little detailed sins, and, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I also want to look at what is a grand view of what sin is. And to help us, I have this quote by Spurgeon. Sin is a lack of conformity to the will of God. Sin is disobedience to God's command. Sin is a forgetfulness of the obligations of the relationship which exists between the creature and the creator. This is the very essence of sin. Injustice to my fellow creature is truly sin, but its essence lies in the fact that it is sin against God, who constituted the relationship which I have violated. Guys, God created us to be in communion with him. He gave us the laws so that we could reflect his character and perfection. And in perfection, we are worthy to be with him. But ever since the fall, in the garden where Adam and Eve gave in to temptation, there has been a battle going on for each of us with this temptation. And I have to ask, how are we doing in this fight? Romans 3.23 is very forward and blunt about how we're doing in this fight. And it says, for all have sinned, given into this temptation, and fall short of the glory of God. He demands perfection, and it says none of us are there. So according to scripture and upon an honest reflection of our own hearts, none of us are perfect before God. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against him. And when we think of sin, maybe if you're still not convinced, 
we usually think of the worst of the worst, right? We say, oh, I don't commit adultery, or oh, it's like porn, lust, and drugs. It's like the really intense ones. And these are bad, but let's try to get a more full view of what sins can entail. We're going to use Galatians 5 to help us in verses 19 through 21. It says this, Now the works of the flesh, sin, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, so the scary ones we just talked about. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivals, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, they will be separated from God. How do you feel you'll stand up now? Have you or are you harboring anger towards someone? Maybe you're even actively expressing anger towards someone. Are you jealous or envious? This might show up in comparison. Is there division? And then the one that hits us all, idolatry. And what does that mean? What do you love most in life? When we take a hard look at ourselves, do we value things more than God? Maybe you value yourself more than God. You care about everything with you before you necessarily think about God. Maybe your significant other. You put them before everything. Maybe it's satisfaction through sex, entertainment. Maybe it's money or schooling so that you can have security in life. There are so many things we can put before God, and he calls this sin. And these are things that can separate us from this perfection and this relationship with God. And this isn't even a full list. I could go on and on. The Bible has so many more passages on it. And it probably leaves us just in that muck and mire of what sin is. And it's not fun. This is sin. Sin is rebellion against what God has deemed right. And therefore, ultimately, rebellion against an injury to God himself. Sin is serious. And when we go to deal with it, there are two things we might do to try to let ourselves get away with it and put it off. Number one is we might rationalize it. I'm sure Aiden, or sorry, Aiken probably thought, no one's going to miss this. This won't hurt anyone. No one's going to know. And maybe we might think, this lie's not going to hurt anyone. This lust, it's just in my head, so it's not actually doing real things. I'm not saying the lie to their face. I'm not gossiping in front of them, so it's, it's okay. We rationalize that it's okay. And sometimes we have a tendency to avoid dealing with sin. A great example of this is from C.S. Lewis in a book that some of you may know called The Great Divorce. It's a very interesting book. You should read it sometime. But at one, at one point, we come along a ghost who has a little lizard on his shoulder that represents the sin in this ghost's life. There then is a conversation between the ghost and an angel who's trying to help him kill the lizard and kill his sin. And it leads to this long back and forth and back and forth. And the angel is constantly asking, can I help and remove and kill this sin, kill this lizard? And the ghost continues to prolong it. And then one of the most relatable lines that he makes for me 
is this. Right after the angel asks him, may I kill it? The ghost responds, honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far more better than killing it. How often do we find ourselves in this position where we just want to put it off till tomorrow? I'll deal with it tomorrow. And, you know, like, let's take it slow. Like, it it hurts to just cut it off. But this is how we find ourselves avoiding dealing with sin. But guys, the reality is we can't avoid dealing with this sin because there are consequences to our sins. And there's two primary areas that there are consequences. Number one, for others. Our sins affect those around us. And number two, there are consequences for ourselves. With that, we now continue in Joshua 7, in in verses 2 through 5. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Israel made a promise to Joshua and to God to obey God's commandments. And by breaking this, Achan's sin has affected and hurt those around him. People literally died because of what he did. And with this broken covenant, now the people's hearts have melted. They're afraid. They've lost hope. And this promise of God to give them courage, they've lost that as well. Another prominent story of someone who fell to sin and affected those around him is the story of David. This righteous man who was so attuned to God fell to sin. He chose to stay behind one time instead of going out with his army. And in that free time, he was walking around on the roof, saw a beautiful woman. And then he brought her over and had sex with her and he committed adultery. Rather than confess, he tried to hide it. As she was about to have a baby, he tried to get um, her husband to come back and have sex with her and cover it up. But he was a good man and chose not to do that because he had to fight in the battle. And instead, David had him killed. He had him put on the front lines and drew the men away so that this man, this innocent man, would die and keep David hidden with the sin that he had committed. And it wasn't until God sent Nathan to call him out that he truly saw the errors of his sin and was pushed to confession and repentance. David's sin caused people to die and it caused others to be hurt. In the same way, we see that adultery can lead to physical, mental, and emotional pain for the rest of the husband and wife's lives. Gossip can ruin friendships. It can mar reputations. Porn and lust can cause distrust among relationships. It can twist perceptions. Pride can grow bitterness and contempt for others. It can push people to comparison 
and belittlement of others. Stealing literally takes away from someone. Lying and manipulation can cause distrust or anger. And again, both big and small, the list goes on of ways that sin can hurt those around us. And in the story of Israel in the book of Joshua, this lapse of faith goes all the way to their leader, Joshua. The seeming hero of this book falls into despair with all the other leaders. Don't get me wrong, he was right to go to prayer first, but who does he place the blame on? Let's read in verses 6 through 9. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Here, Joshua places the blame on God. He says that it was God, not him, not Israel. And this is our challenge too. Not only do we look at what Achan struggled with in his sin, but let's look at Joshua. This man who was faithful to God ultimately says, I think the problem is with you. How often do we shift blame? How often do we put it on others when the reality is the problem is with us? And part of figuring out what the problem is, is to humble ourselves in honest reflection and ask, whose fault is this and why is this happening? And as we see Joshua falling into this distrust of God and ultimately sin, we realize that no one is perfect and all fall short, even great spiritual leaders of our times. One of the hardest ones for me was someone who has been here to the university and actually taught in the O'Connell Center and is a great teacher of apologetics, Ravi Zacharias. This crushed me. I looked up to him. I learned a lot from him. But this man who was righteous was found guilty of sexual misconduct and hurting those around him. This great leader who is so well-known around the world struggled with hidden sin. And this hidden sin hurt his family, hurt the women that he had sexual misconduct towards, and everyone in his ministry now is struggling with picking up the pieces that he left behind. We see and we'll continue to see the consequences our sins have on others. But there's also consequences for ourselves in sin. In the case of Achan, it is very straightforward. And we're going to jump to the end of Joshua to see the consequence before we jump to how we deal with and remedy sin. So in verses 22 through 26, it says this. So after Achan had confessed, it says, Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, 
and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The consequence in that moment for Achan's sin was death. The people of Israel made a promise with the Lord and committed that those who broke it would die. It says this in Joshua 1, verses 16 through 18. And they answered Joshua, All you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Achan was there on that day. He knew this and he broke this promise anyways. As a consequence, he and all of his household were stoned and burned. We pay the consequences for the laws that we are under. I learned this very early as a child. If I disobeyed my parents, they told me to do something, I would get a very sore bottom. And it hurt, but it was a consequence for something they already told me. I knew I would get spanked if I did not obey them. And when I didn't obey them, that's exactly what happened. We are under the law of our parents as children and must adhere to those laws until we leave their household. As much as I hate that street out there, 34th Street, and as much as it takes so long on, during rush hour, and that suicide lane is so tempting to just drive all the way down to that left turn and skip three rotations of lights, the law says that is illegal. So when I got pulled over for it, it wasn't very surprising. And I try to avoid that street at all costs now. Because as long as we're in the United States, we must adhere to the country's laws. That is a commitment you have made by living in this place. But above all is God's laws, which he has given us through scripture. And this applies to everyone. As he is the creator and we are the creation, we are subject to what he has called us to do and what he has given us as laws in scripture. And as we look at that, those are very, in this moment, temporal consequences of sin and challenges. But according to scripture, what is the ultimate consequence of sin? If we think back to James, it said that we are enticed by our desires, and then we give in, and then it says it leads to death for ourselves. But this isn't necessarily a physical death like Achan, but a spiritual death in light of eternity. Because through sin, as we talked about, God is perfect and we're not. We're therefore separated from God. And this is true death, separation from God. And this isn't temporary, this is absolute. So far, this is probably not the most encouraging sermon. Um, we might feel a little bit guilty 
Some of these things might have hit us right in the core. Some of us are actively struggling through some of these sins right now. And maybe we feel a little beat up, but this is not the end. Because now we're going to talk about the remedy for sin. So let's see how we work through and overcome this. And we're going to start back, not from the end of Joshua chapter 7, but go back to right after Joshua's in despair and blaming God. And thankfully, in that moment, God didn't just sit there and take it, but he corrects Joshua. And he's going to lead us into two parts of remedy for sin. Number one is trust in God. And number two is confess your sins. So we'll pick up in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed, sinned, my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate yourself, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. God tells Joshua, it is not God who has sinned, but instead Israel. He calls them to repentance and purification. And then this is how it plays out. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with silver underneath. Imagine being Achan in this moment. You know you've done something wrong. All of Israel is told the day before, we're consecrating tomorrow to figure out this problem. And you know you're the cause. And in front of what we would guess to be over a million people, they start whittling down to you. First, they call your tribe. Then, your clan. Then, your house. 
And then one by one, they get closer and closer as they approach you. I can't even imagine the angst and fear in Achan's soul. And then finally, it gets to him. And I think it's interesting how Joshua responds to him. He says, my son. He responds in love and familial connection in the midst of this terrible sin that has happened and caused so much strife. And he says, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And then Achan confesses. He doesn't run. He can't. He doesn't hide. He confesses. And he recognizes that his sin is against the Lord and he lays it all out there. I don't know. But as tough as this is and where this is about to end, and even though there are still consequences that Achan has, this seems like an honest confession before God to me. We see this similarly with a thief on the cross that there, it is never too late to confess before God. In Luke 23, 39 through 43, it says this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief still died on that cross. There were still consequences for his actions. But he confessed his guilt and then put his trust in Jesus. Even in his last moment, he trusts and confesses. Guys, it is never too late to be honest and open and confess. And we'll get into more of what that can look like in a second. As we learn from James, sin leads to death, an eternal one. And this is the bad news. This should leave us in despair and tragedy. And there is nothing we can do in our own power to change that. We will always fall short of the perfection that God requires. But this bad news makes what comes next all the sweeter. This is the gospel, the good news. And to help tell it, I want to turn to Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's the sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
Guys, this is the gift of God, Jesus. Christ took the punishment we deserved for our sins and replaces our worthlessness before God with his perfect, worthy self before God. This this punishment doesn't go away. It is still required to be paid. And instead of making us pay it, Jesus pays that price and he takes it on himself and instead lets us be seen as him in perfection before God so that we can be reconnected to him. And this is a free gift to those who receive it and transfer their trust away from themselves, but instead to Jesus. For some of you, myself included, we've heard this a million times. So hear it again. We need this reminder every day because clearly we struggle to believe it every single day. And we cannot lose sight of how important and how powerful and potent this message is. That Jesus is there to save us. And he helps us through every moment, every struggle, everything. If we look to him and let him lead us in our lives. For some of you though, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe this is the first time it's sinking in. This is a gift for you if you choose Jesus. He offers connection with God and freedom from these sins, both open sins and hidden sins. And this is awesome. But freedom comes also with a call to a new life. And this means confronting and destroying these sins in our lives. And this battle happens over the course of our whole earthly life. But the beautiful thing, guys, is in Christ, this sin can be overcome. And like I said, when we were talking about the two parts of the remedy is, number one, the first step is receive Jesus and let him into this process. And then our sin should drive us to a grief and conviction that leads to action. And we see this action in confession. And there are two ways we're going to confess, vertical and horizontal. When I think of vertical, it's between us and God. Think back to David and what he did. After he was called out by Nathan, we see his response in the Psalms. And in Psalm 32, 5, he's very clear to say, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Salah. True confession starts with God. In other parts, David says, against you and you only have I sinned, which goes back and takes us to the Spurgeon quote, where it says, the essence of sin is the sin against God. Yes, David killed a guy and slept with his wife, and he, sinned, but, and he sinned against others. But the point of scripture here is to say that the sin against God enables the sin against others. So first, we need to confess to God. But oftentimes, the confession needs to go horizontally. James 5 encourages us in this in verse 16, where it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
confession is hard. When we talked about those sins earlier, a lot of them suck. They're terrible. We hate them. We don't like to talk about them. They make us feel dirty. They make us feel less than. But when we confess to one another, what is it for? Is it so that we can humiliate you? Scorn you? Disown you? No. It's that we might be healed. That is the point of confession, that we can find healing and hope in Christ. And guys, it's really difficult for the enemy to accuse you if you're fully known. In this culture, we care so much about image. And we put up this image and hope, oh no, I hope no one finds out the real me. Imagine if you just put it all out there and can't ever be found out as fake. Again in Psalm 32, David said his bones wasted away while he was silent. You have no shot at legitimate freedom if you put out the fake vibes that you are better than you are. You live in fear of shame and you live in fear of pride. I love how Matt Chandler put it in one of his sermons. He said this, to be 99% known is to be unknown. If you've got your little 1% and you're giving away 99, nobody knows you. Now in that moment, when you choose to walk like that, you've made it impossible to receive love. Here's why. Because if someone actually tries to love you, you'll justify not receiving that love by going, oh, they don't know the, really who I am. If they knew who I really was, there's no way they would love me like that. But you've done that. You've enslaved you to that by not being known. Listen, you are more concerned with protecting the image that you are projecting of yourself and being enslaved to that image than you are actually being set free by being fully known and then tangibly experiencing the grace of God among a covenant people that says, struggle well, brother. We'll kill the lion, his ex uh, example for sin, with you. We're dragging our own. Let's put these things to death together. And that's the beauty of the church. We've all got lions. We've all got sin. If you think you don't have one, the chances are you are already in its mouth. So confess, open up to God and to others. We're not here to make you any less. God wants what's best for you. And part of that is opening up and working through these struggles and sins. We want what's best for you. There's no hidden agenda. We're not trying to get dirt on you. We want you to experience freedom. This is hard. I know, because for a long time, I've struggled with same-sex attraction and what goes on in my mind because of it. I've fallen to porn. I know what that's like. And it's something that I don't want to talk about. I hate talking about it right now, but I know it's good. And it was a beautiful thing for me to open up to some of the people here at this church who were open and welcoming and understanding. It was really hard. It required humility, but those people came alongside me and walk with me through that daily. They're there to ask me how I'm doing and check with me. 
and make sure that I'm growing and being open and honest. It hurts. It's hard. But the freedom that I've experienced and just having other people know, and I'm not alone, and still being loved in spite of that and thinking that I'm terrible and I'm wicked is life-changing to know that the love of Christ isn't just through Christ, but it's through his church. And I get to experience that regularly because of these people he's put in my life. I have struggled and continue to struggle with sin. Pastor Kevin has struggled and continues to struggle with sin. Daniel has struggled and continues to struggle with sin. Theo has struggled and continues to struggle with sin. The person on your right has struggled and continues to struggle with sin. The person on your left has struggled and continues to struggle with sin. You have struggled and continue to struggle with sin. We all have lions. If you don't know Jesus and haven't put in your trust in him, then don't wait. He offers us freedom from the bonds of this sin, from the fear of performance and hope, and he gives us hope for an eternal future with a loving and caring God and a community around us to walk with us through that life. If you do know Jesus, but you're struggling with hidden sin, confess. Receive the grace, love, and help of Jesus. Walk out those consequences, because there will still be consequences, but alongside a community of people who are there to walk with you and with a God who loves you through it all and see him glorified through this process. And then be intentional to walk with it wisely through the future and ask yourself the question, who can hold you accountable? Do you give them access to ask you questions? Are you open and honest or avoidant? Or one of the biggest things Kevin taught me as I was being uh, discipled by him was the reality that as I graduated and people were a lot less intentional with me, unfortunately, I can't be here to ask each and every one of you how you're doing. I can't take the time all on my own. Even all of our leaders can't do that with you. So take the initiative. I know it's hard and scary, but we need to know that as Matt Chandler put it, if you're on fire, cry for help. Don't sit there and burn, but ask for help. Seek help and initiate when you're struggling. It's not always enjoyable. It can really hurt, but it is so helpful and necessary. And if you have a brother or sister in Christ who is working through sin, then take this encouragement from Galatians. In chapter six, verses one and two, it says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all have struggles with sin in this life. Don't hide them. Don't belittle those who struggle around you, but let us walk through this together, putting death to sin. 
I'm going to invite Gahe back up to play some keys. Uh, and then I also want to ask the GC leaders if you could uh, stand up and just be here to pray with people uh, in the front and in the back. Um, and David, if you can turn off the lights. We're going to enter into a time of communion and prayer and worship. So if you don't have your communion packet, I would encourage you to go to the front or the back and grab it. As you take communion, I want you to first take time to confess confess vertically. Talk to God. Be open and honest. He already knows everything. And then... I encourage you, take time to confess horizontally. I've asked these GC leaders up because they are people who care for you, they pray for you regularly, and they want what's best for you. If you need to pray with someone and talk to someone, I encourage you, please, talk to one of them. Let them pray for you. If that's not an option, I encourage you to don't wait, but take time to confess. Find someone you trust and be open and honest with them and work through this together. If it needs to be at gospel community this week, that's a time that you can also confess and be open and honest. Then I want you to take the wafer and the juice to celebrate Jesus's sacrifice for you, that you no longer are enslaved to that sin or fear and to rejoice and praise him for the hope he has given us. If you're not a believer, we ask that you not take communion, not because we don't love you, but this is a moment for Christians to appreciate and express remembrance for what we believe Jesus has done for us. Instead, I encourage you to pray and surrender. Surrender your life to him. Just like the Israelites, like David, the thief on the cross, and like most of the people sitting around you have done as well, placing their identity and trust in him. And then we can walk together in faith in all of our sins and struggles, finding freedom in the hope of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, be with us in this time. Give us courage as you gave Joshua to be open and honest knowing that you want what's best for us, you want healing, and you want help. I pray that we receive that today and that we take time to pray to you and talk to others. Just be with us now, Holy Spirit. Amen.